felt like a tidy button once I actually yeah, read it off yeah. the wall. I was like, <laughs> maybe I'll leave that there. <laughs> Let that breathe for a bit. Hello and welcome to Pajaritos, a Chicago Latinx theater podcast. This is your host, Nadia Alviesquivel. I know I don't sound like Daniel Alviesquivel, but I just caught a cold, lost my voice, and after spending two months in a high school student teaching, what else did I expect to happen? But you know what? I'm here, you're here, and uh, pretend like you got a new host for the next 30 minutes, because it's new, it's exciting, it's fresh. Today we have a very, very special guest, but I'll let him take care of the introductions. Hi, I'm Gabriel Ruiz. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and his. I'm an ensemble member with Teatro Vista and an actor about Chicago, currently working uh, at Steppenwolf in a play called You Got Older. Gabriel was a fantastic guest, giving me life advice I didn't even know I needed until he started telling it to me. Now, I've waited a long time for this episode, you've waited a long time for this episode, and now that I've finally crawled my way out of the trenches of academia and high school education, I think we're both ready for it. So, without further ado, this is Pajaritos, a Chicago Latinx theater podcast. Thank you so much for coming out and letting me interview you. Yeah. I was able to see your performance in Native Gardens, and I told you about this already, but... You said the kindest things <laughs> about it. I read that email a couple of times. It made me feel like a shiny penny. <laughs> good, good. No, your performance was absolutely extraordinary. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't like... The text itself was really, really enjoyable. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the second time I got to work on that. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, in fact, I did the world premiere at uh, Cincinnati Playhouse. Um, and when I was asked to do it again in Chicago, I was over the moon about it. Um, so, it, you know, I guess when I first got into rehearsal, I thought like, well, I cheated, you know, <laughs> like I, I already have something under my belt. You know, I was excited. Uh, but then to watch a new director navigate the same text, I started where everyone else did for the VG production. I had to begin again. But it's a deceptive text, because when you read it, it sort of, it sort of reads sitcom-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's easy to forget how much juice is in the thing. So I was, I, I, it meant a lot to, to hear you, you know, talk even a little bit about your experience with it, because it was a good reminder that, like, oh, yeah, that play, it didn't, pull a punch like it, it kind of went deep into the cut mm-hmm. and so I'm glad you enjoyed it <laughs> so if you could tell me a little bit about the first production that you were ever involved in first production I was ever involved in was the music man it was being done at the uh, at, at the high school where I grew up but I was not in high school at the time I was in elementary school and they needed, like, a whole bunch of little kids to run around to be, like, the town kids that, like, you know, were in the marching band or whatever. Uh, so I was a, my first gig was as a supernumerary in a high school production <laughs> of music band. But it, it sort of came at a time where I learned that I liked performing, you know, as a kid. You know, you stand on stage, you're under the hot lights. <laughs> Everyone tells you what a great job you did. It's a, it's a pretty, like, you know, as a kid, it's kind of like... Everybody's job around you is to only tell, like, the little kid, 
hey, you did good today. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I sort of like to stick with it. And I began singing a lot and, and performing much more. And so by the time I got to high school, I was really jazzed to be in the show. And in fact, my senior year of high school, it was the time to bring the music man again. And I actually played Harold Hill. So I, I went from being like the little kid in the marching band to the lead <laughs> of that same play. It has like a really nice feel of symmetry about it. Mm-hmm. That felt very nice. My parents sort of like balked because I told them my freshman year in high school that I wanted to be an actor for a living. And my mom was like, sure. <laughs> you know, you're, you're young. Of course you'll think that. But then eventually, like, I, I kept, you know, signing up to do performance things, and I kept spurning any kind of uh, sports, you know. I kept focusing in, and they started getting a little bit nervous. And then when it came down to it, time to go to college, I told them that I wanted to go to school for this and that I wanted to throw myself at it. And my mom was like, it was not her favorite thing, but she was like, yes, you will. That's what you want to do. That's what I want you to do. And my father was like, nope, <laughs> absolutely not. And he was very much against it. And, and um, I was doing a production, a high school production. And mom brought Pop to come see it. And we all got to do, you know, I performed the show. There was a quiet uh, car ride home. And then the next day before dinner, my father dropped off a stack of six folders And he said, these are the best schools in the country for acting. You'll read through these and we'll talk about it over dinner. Which was a, it was a very huge thing for me. I didn't know DePaul Theater School existed until then. I I grew up in New Jersey, so the idea is like, New York, New York, New York. And I also think like, I found out that I was Midwesterner once I got here. (laughs) I always say that like, I was in New Jersey wondering like, why is everyone so mean? Like... (laughs) All the time. And then I, I came to school here for the DePaul Theater School. And I was like, oh, I sort of fit here, <laughs> you know? That um, sounds like, like a conclusion of a coming-of-age story. That's very fitting. <laughs> right? It's like that indie story of, like, the dad coming in and, like, no frills. I've been lucky over and over and over again. And, and, and one of them was to just have parents that said... Yes. A family that says yes. My brother, theater is not his thing. You know, he, he does not enjoy it all that much, but that does not stop him from being my biggest fan. You know, he's just like, well, whatever you're in, I like. You're good. <laughs> like, oh, really? You didn't, like, you didn't like any Chekhov? You didn't like any... I mean, Shakespeare, he's pretty good. He's like, ah, old stuff, whatever. Remember when you did that Native Gardens play? That was perfect. Um, so is your brother saying that Conan Zacharias is, is better than Shakespeare? Then? He's better than Shakespeare. You heard it here first, folks. Conan Zacharias is better than Shakespeare. Um, the, the Paul Theater School at the time was in much more humble trappings. I don't know, have you been to the new building? Mm-hmm. New buildings like an Apple store, right? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I'm still paying for that building. <laughs> You're welcome, kids. But uh, the original theater school used to be in this 
it used to be a schoolhouse where like nuns would be teaching kids in the early days of DePaul and it was not directly on campus. It was just a this satellite thing. They were just like shove all the theater makers over there. And you know, the, t- the some of the tiles were just frayed at the edges, so layers of paint on top of paint, and it was just perfect. I <laughs> loved it so so much and very gracefully I was able to make it in, thank goodness. Someone was just asking me the other day, and he was like, well, I don't know how it works for you. I don't know how it works for you here in the States. Like, Do you, do you need a degree to get into a place like Steppenwolf? You know, his thought was like, well, I know that I need to have a certain level of education before I go and um, interview with PricewaterhouseCooper, you know? And I was like, no, actually... <laughs> You could literally roll out of bed one day and sign up to audition. And if you're good, you'll just get it, right? He's like, so, but you went and got training. I'm like, yes, I needed it. I don't think that I could approach work the way I do now without the experience that I had at DePaul. I do not judge anyone who jumps in without getting training, but I do not scoff at anyone who goes out of their way to get good training. I don't know, thinking more about my time there. You know, the training at DePaul, at least at the time, to not be generous would be to call the, my training at DePaul scattershot. Um, we did a little bit of a great many things. Since then, in most every room I walk in, I'm able to speak whatever language that is. If you're, if you're a viewpoints director, I have a primer. I'll ask a couple of questions if I get lost, but for the most part, we can start on day one and roll right into it. You know, if you're if you're a more method director, I know how to speak that language as well. We can get into it. So, so many of those things, uh, when I entered the Chicago theater scene, that understanding of so much different kinds of vocabulary allowed me to get my foot into a great many rooms early. I was able to hop into Looking Glass and do physical theater. I was able to hop in around Steppenwolf culture and that more like kitchen sink drama. I was able to do the heightened language over at Chicago Shakespeare. At least begin, right? Because I mean, I was, I was a kid. (laughs) I like to think I've grown much since then, you know, and I think that my, my training at DePaul really helped me get started that way. I graduated and my first production was in fact with with Chicago Children's Theater, but at the Goodman in the Owen Theater, um, which is for a young kid just out of college to two days after graduation, I was in rehearsal at the Goodman, which feels really, really good. And unbeknownst to me, I got to be there with a great many Teatro Vista ensemble members in that show. And I sort of got to get my feet wet there. I'm pretty sure I wasn't great, but, you know, <laughs> I was a kid and someone offered me a great opportunity. And, and, and the folks that I got to meet there, thank goodness, were amazing. And I got to work with Teatro Vista ensemble members there who then invited me to audition for something that was going up that next fall. It was Tanya Saracho's play, Our Lady of the Underpass. Our Lady of the Underpass is a series of six monologues with a couple of theatrical choral pieces interstitially woven between them. And when they called me in 
again, it was just a getting to know you thing, right? They're like, we worked with you here. Let's throw the kids some text so we know what file we want to put him in for the future. So they called me in. They hand me this monologue. The monologue is for like this 50-year-old man. And I go in and I perform the monologue. And I learned later that Daniel Saracho was like, I will change anything in the monologue <laughs> to get this kid on stage. Wow. I haven't thought about that in a while. Pardon <laughs> me. Uh, because Tanya Saracho has gone on to do, you know, wonderful things, but she still, she kicks doors open for people. And that's what she did for me. And Teatro Vista, who said yes, and I got to join them. And my, one of my first directors was Sandra Marquez. Okay, so like, hero on top of heroes on top of heroes here. <laughs> and I'm doing this monologue, and I drive Marquez up a wall. <laughs> She just cannot stand me. I, I'm working very hard. I have diligent training under my belt. I'm bringing everything I have to this, you know, 15-minute monologue. to be on stage. And, and I am stiff, and I'm just mechanical, and, you know, doing all those things that beginner, not good actors do. But she can't seem to get through to me. You know, she keeps trying different ways in, and I keep basically dodging her with my training, right? <laughs> like, I, I, there's a miscommunication there. I, I mistranslate what she's telling me over and over and over again. So finally, she calls Eddie Torres, and she's like, would you mind popping into this rehearsal? Just talking to the kid. I, 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 maybe he just needs to hear it from someone else. Now, first of all, when I tell this story, I think it's very important to note, not every director would do that. A lot of directors give up. You know, a lot of directors put a spit polish on it, and they're like, that's as good as that part's going to get. Cut the loss. Put your focus elsewhere. She didn't. She humbled herself enough to say, if I'm not the person to get through, I need to find the right person to get through. Mm. Eddie Torres comes in. And he sees me start my monologue. I get about two minutes in. He's seen enough. (laughs) (laughs) he's like, hey, man, you went to DePaul? I was like, yeah. He's like, great school. I was like, oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I don't care. What? (laughs) I don't care that you went to DePaul. You don't have to prove it. I was like, okay. He's like, "I, I see you're working a lot. And I see how you're working a lot. I'm telling you, you can work. Less. I'm like, okay, I think I understand. I think, you know, and I've started, like, doing my gears again. He's like, hey, you're enough. I'm like, okay. He's like, hey, look at me. You are enough. I'm like, okay, here you go. Gabe, you're enough. So, of course, I start bawling. (laughs) (laughs) I start bawling like a little child. He just goodwill hunted you. He just goodwill hunted me. Thank you for saying it. You get me. But I think that that production was my introduction to Chicago theater. I think that that set the tone for me of the expectation that our culture here holds. Like, bring yourself to it. It's what everyone else showed up here for. You know, nobody... You know, we can be as impressed as we like with good work. But an audience didn't show up for good work. They showed up to see something real. 
Are, are you able to give them something real? Do that. And to learn that lesson as early as that did depended on Eddie Torres knowing what to say to me, depended on Sandra Marquez not giving up on me, depended on Tania Saracho making space for me, depended on Ricardo Gutierrez y Charina Alvarez who met me and saw something when we worked together. So when I was approached by Teatro Vista to join the ensemble, I leapt. Yeah. I think when I first left college, and, you know, everybody's hitting the, the ground running, running blind, hmm. uh, probably the most important thing was to just, like, keep a script in your hand. You know? I, I Very quickly, you, you see peers, for any number of reasons, they act less, and they... They work more, you know, or as the case may be, or they they smoke more and watch TV, or you know they you know they drink too much and just like kill the time because they're only going to go to the the Goodman Generals at the beginning of the season and then not know what else to do. They lose motivation. The thing I was blessed with was a lot of places like Teatro Vista or like Chicago dramatists, especially who are like, we have new scripts that need to be read. Will you read it? Yes. We can give you $15. I'm like, I love lunch money. Can I have a script, please? And always having those new scripts in hand uh, just always let you flex the muscle. It always... And, you know, some scripts were better than others. Usually, if we're doing something like this, they're, they're, it's new work. So some scripts can be better than others, but you always have something to bounce off of. And you never forget what you're here for. As long as you have a script to look forward to. Even if it's one a week, email me the script. I'll read it three times. I'll show up with some big decisions. <laughs> and we'll have one reading for six people and the playwright. Great. <laughs> but it was a place to put my work. Mm-hmm. What was my plan? <laughs> to make it as a performer. I didn't have a plan, but I did have a goal. And my goal was not an Oscar or a Tony or Jeff. I really wanted to be an actor in Chicago that you could depend on. I, I wanted to be the actor in Chicago that if you were in a jam, if you had a part that just wasn't clicking, you knew who to call. I wanted that to be my name. That's really nice. Oh, yeah? And okay. at the same time, like, I'm, I'm graduating in May, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel very much like, you know how, like, when you're in high school, you're, like, the big fish in the, in the little pond, mm-hmm. and then you got to college, and, like, you're a little fish in a big pond. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, like, and then you get, like, bigger and bigger. Like, I've never felt more underprepared to, like, jump into the ocean than I have in fact like couple months before graduation yeah so hearing a goal like that is nice it grounds me because I think you're right I think you put it well just this idea of of grounding because there's you know especially as a younger person you can get a review and you can feel a certain way about it but if you can after opening night, say thanks to your director, and your director looks at you and says, can't wait until we work together again. 
that I think is even more practical mm. in a way to build that kind of relationship. My plan wasn't to be a New York actor. Mm-hmm. My plan wasn't to be a musical theater Broadway star, <laughs> but my goal was to show up to both of those things and succeed. I think it was a couple of years ago when I realized that I hadn't had a day job in six years. That even if my life was humble and all mine, as small as it might be, and I got to have it making theater for six years, I think that was the first semblance of I made it. I made something. But still, every single closing night, <laughs> that's thrown into upheaval, yes? Yeah. I honestly don't know what it takes to feel like I've made it. But as we've talked before, making it wasn't part of the plan. Being able to work and work well was the goal. And I'm reaching my goal. Just like every episode, I'm going to jump in here to do some pajaritos business. First and foremost, we would like to thank Mayama Sebastian for the use of our theme song, La Fiesta, from the album Al Ambre. We would also like to thank the Alliance for Latinx Theater Artists of Chicago, an organization dedicated to the community of Latinx theater artists. If you are a Latinx theater artist and not yet a member, join us. Visit us at altachicago.org. That's A-L-T-A-C-H-I-C-A-G-O dot O-R-G. Click on membership and check out all the benefits of becoming a member. And with the membership so enticing and so easy to apply for, why don't you just go for it? That sounds really aggressive coming from somebody with such a scravelly voice, but trust me, you won't regret it. Also, if you are or aren't Latinx and you want consistent updates on the Chicago Latinx theater scene, make sure you like us on Facebook at Alta Chicago. And be sure that you're subscribed to our monthly newsletter, The Alta Shout. In the shout, we have updates on Chicago theater that features Latinx excellence. We also have Progresos and Pride, which is different opportunities for Latinx excellence to shine through in terms of articles, quotations, awards, job placements, anything under the sun that shows how proud we are of our community. We also have opportunities for date nights, which is for you to come and hang out with your Alta community and get to know them and also consume some really awesome theater. And my final thank you goes out to you, our audience. Thank you so much for your continued support, for the kind, kind messages that you're leaving on iTunes, for the emails that you're sending suggesting artists that you want featured on the podcast, and for people who have told me individually that the work I'm doing is important. I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. If you haven't already left a review on iTunes, please, please take a couple minutes out of your day. Tell us something nice. Not only does it validate what I'm doing, but also it tells iTunes that, like, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm doing something pretty okay. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, make sure that you do to get our updates whenever a new episode comes out. And Pajaritos can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts, be it iTunes or Google Play. Now, at the end of the episode, we usually like to have the guests bring some sort of art so that they can share it with our audience and expand our ever-growing canon of Latinx art. Gabriel Ruiz has brought a monologue that he wrote from a new play that he's working on. I'll let him introduce it and give you sort of the background to why he wrote it. This this project I started, I kind of had this idea to set it in car rides. If the play happens 
at dinner. I want to write what happens on the way to dinner and what happens after. So I'm sort of trying to write something that has this, that plays on expectation and potential mm. and meets right after an event to see what the aftermath is like. It saves me from doing all of the hard work that actual playwrights and movie, <laughs> you know, screenwriters do. It saves me from, from, from doing that. So I was going to do a piece of poetry that I've performed for people before, but we were talking tonight about taking risks and being a maker. Um, and so I decided, wh- wh- why don't we just uh, put some skin in the game, <laughs> as they say, and I'll read a monologue from this thing. Great. This couple just left dinner. It was a very stressful dinner. She got a little bit sloppy drunk. And she has apologized to her partner, who's now driving her home. And it's sort of the first event they've done together since they've restarted their relationship. So this is a couple that's been together, broken apart, and is trying to figure out what the new version of them could be like. Mm. She's just apologized, to which he answers. You know, I went to Yosemite. I went to Yosemite after we broke up and after, like, I was tired of drinking. I drove out. Took for fucking ever. I didn't stop for anything. I mean, gas, food, yeah, but, like, I drove like a maniac out west. Slept in the car a lot and... I didn't even know why Yosemite. The valley's gorgeous, but I parked in there and realized I didn't know what to do, so I saw this waterfall and I walked toward it and kind of followed other people to the trailhead and just started walking up like an idiot. You know, no water, no kind of provisions or whatever, and I just kept walking up. And I'm so out of shape. I've I've just been drinking in the dark for a month. And now I'm in the sun walking up some goddamn mountain. And there's little kids running past me and old, old people just strolling. And I'm taking breaks and sweating like shit. And and I'm going to quit. But it occurs to me that Pop always wanted to see this place. And never did. So... I keep going. And it takes forever, but I get to the top of the trail. And I walk over to the end of this waterfall and look over the valley. And it's the most, it's almost unbelievable how big the world is. And I'm standing on top of it. And I miss you. I miss you so goddamn bad half a country away and within arm's reach of heaven, and I miss you. I have changed. And you have too. You are. You're different. Different enough that it scares me a little. But tonight, at this dinner, I looked across the room at one point and I saw you there. And I didn't have to miss you. It's no place better. Adentro no está, afuera está, adentro no está, afuera está, adentro.